Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this past week, Wednesday, February 14, was Valentine's Day. It's a day that's supposed to be for celebrating and expressing love. But for all the attention that love gets, for all the recognition of the importance of love, and for all the efforts to promote love, real, genuine self-sacrificing love isn't easy. You don't have to go far to find tension, to find uh, hostility, to find hatred between people. Fervent, willingly self-denying devotion and commitment to others, the kind of love that Christ demonstrates or demonstrated when he came and died on the cross, is just plain hard. Even in the church. Even for genuine Christians. That was true in the church in Philippi. There were tensions between people in the church. Much of Paul's letter to the Philippians has been seeking to address those tensions. If you go back to the end of chapter 1, you, you read there how he calls them to live in a manner, to let their conversation be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to explain what that means. And part of what that means, he calls them to strive, notice, together for the faith of the gospel. And then immediately following the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, he calls them to be united, to be like-minded, to be having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And he calls them to be humble and to esteem each other better than themselves, to deny themselves in service, in service to each other, to have the mind of Christ. To follow his example. He points them to Timothy and Epaphroditus in the latter part of chapter 2 as examples of that Christ-like love. And in chapter 4, he actually specifically calls on two women in the church, Yodius and Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. So there were these tensions in, in, in Philippi. Demonstrating for us that Christian love for one another was and is and can be difficult. That's not to say, though, that the Philippian Christians had no love at all. They did. In the beginning of chapter 1, Paul hinted at that. He spoke of that, really, when he, he spoke of their fellowship, their, their partnership with him in the gospel. By the grace of, of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, God had worked in their hearts and they had some Christian love, but, but it needed to grow. It needed to mature. And that's why Paul prayed in Philippians 1 verse 9. He prayed that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment or discernment. Their love needed to grow. And that's true for us too. How wonderful it is when when we can see and experience Christian love, Christian fellowship together in our, in our families, in our marriages, in, in, our, in our church and beyond. But it's not always easy, is it? 
It's not always easy. Maybe you're wondering, though, what, what, what am I talking about exactly when, I meet, when we talk about Christian love? Well, we're not talking about doing whatever other people want us to do necessarily, including even our fellow Christians, because we can want wrong things from each other. We can have wrong expectations of each other. Sometimes Christian love means not doing what someone else wants. Sometimes it means even humbly confronting, gently rebuking another person, a fellow Christian. Christian love isn't always about doing what other people want. Christian love is really living in a way that's self-sacrificially committed to the well-being of others for the glory of God. It's a self-sacrificing commitment to the ultimate, ultimate well-being of others for the glory of God. But you see, that doesn't come naturally. And even when by the grace of God we may have it, it still needs to grow. It needs to grow in me. It needs to grow in all of us. But it won't grow, it won't mature, at least not very well, unless we see the blessing of it. And often that's what we struggle with, don't we? We struggle with seeing the blessing of Christian love. What, what do I mean? I mean, it doesn't seem worth the cost. It doesn't seem worth the time. It doesn't seem worth the sacrifice. It doesn't seem worth the humility. One of the reasons we don't show love or we don't grow in love is because we don't think it's worth it. But it is. It is, and that's, at least in part, that's what our text, Philippians 4, verses 14 to 23, is saying. No, it doesn't, doesn't use the actual word love in the passage, in case you were looking. It doesn't use the word, but, but that, that's essentially what Paul's words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in the last verses of this book, are about. The Philippians had demonstrated Christian love toward him, by their gift, their sacrificial gift. And he uses their gift as an opportunity to show them, to show them because he knows their love needs to grow and he's closing his letter and he wants to show them, he wants to show us the great blessing of Christian love in a way that's meant to encourage us and to spur us on in it. And so with, with God's help, we'll want to look at our text under that theme, the great blessing of Christian love. And we'll see, first of all, God's clear approval of it Secondly, God's astounding encouragements for it. And thirdly, God's advancing glory through it. Notice, then, first of all, God's clear approval of Christian love. Our text highlights this in verses 14 through 18. Paul's just spoken in verses 11 to 13. We saw last week about how he had learned contentment through Christ. But now in four, verse 14, he goes back to the topic that he brought up in verse 10. The topic of the care of the Philippians for him. The reason he brought that up was because their messenger Epaphroditus had brought him a gift from them. He speaks of that in verse 18. He speaks of having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from them. And in verse 14 then, he, he says, Nevertheless, in spite of my contentment that I have learned, ye have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. So what's Paul doing here? Well, he's warmly expressing approval of their love for him that they had demonstrated. 
They had communicated, meaning they had shared with, they had partnered with Paul in his affliction, in his trouble. And, and, and how does he respond? He responds with, well done. And maybe, children, you've had a teacher say that to you at school or put it on a test or an assignment. It's always wonderful to get a test or assignment with those words back on it, isn't it? Or maybe your mom or dad has said that to you, well done. Those are words of approval. But Paul is not just expressing his own approval because, for one thing, we have to remember Paul's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but he's writing as a servant of Jesus Christ. That's how he speaks of himself in Philippians 1 verse 1. And so his well done is an expression not only of his own approval, but also of the Lord's approval. And so you see what this is teaching us is that Christian love has God's approval. In verses 15 through 18, they they really confirm that in several ways. They show us God's clear approval of Christian love. And for one thing, he takes special note of it. You think about it. In verses 15 and 16, Paul reminds the Philippians about the way they had cared for him. Look at what it says there in verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. So Paul's reminding the Philippians of when he first came and and preached the gospel to, to them. And that was at least 10 years earlier. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 16. It tells us what happened there. How they they came and they preached to some women who were gathered at the river. There was no synagogue in in, in Philippi. And they, they were gathered at the river on the Sabbath. And they preached to them. And the Lord opened the heart of one of them named Lydia. And she believed. And then she constrained them to, 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 to come and stay with her. She, she showed care for them. But then when Paul commanded an evil spirit to come out of a slave girl, what happened? Well, he and Silas were beaten, weren't they? They were beaten by the city rulers and they were thrown into a dungeon. And then while they were in the dungeon praying and praising God, of all things, the Lord sent an earthquake. And through all that happened with that earthquake, the keeper of the prison, you know what happened to the keeper of the prison? He was was converted, he was convicted, and he was converted too. He was saved, he believed in Jesus Christ. And and after he was saved, he took Paul and and Silas and he washed the wounds that they had received from their beating. and, 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 And he fed them with food. He cared for them. But then the city rulers asked them to leave, and so they ended up going to Thessalonica and preached there until the unbelieving Jews forced them out. And apparently in this time, we're not told about it in Acts, but we're told about it here. In this time, the Philippians, while they were, they, he was in Thessalonica, the Philippians sent gifts to him at least twice to supply his needs so that he could continue preaching the gospel. And, and they were the only church that did that, apparently. You see, Paul, he makes special mention of that. Now, why why is that so important? Because it tells us that God takes special note when we show Christian love. He takes note when we share in the afflictions and in the troubles of our fellow believers. You know, it reminds me of, of Obadiah 
in 1 Kings 18. Maybe you know that story. Obadiah, he was the governor of Ahab's house. And if you know about anything about Ahab and his wife Jezebel, the king and queen of Israel, you, you know they were not friends of God's people. In fact, Jezebel was trying to kill all the prophets of the Lord. But Obadiah, the, he, the governor in Ahab's house, he was a God-fearing person. And, and, and he risked his life in order to save a hundred prophets of the Lord by hiding them in a cave and giving them bread and water, giving them food and water in a time of famine. And God took note of that by putting it in his word, by recording it in his word. And in the same way, he took special note of the Philippians' care, their love for Paul, and put it, saw fit to put it in his word. What an encouragement that should be for us to show love ourselves to our fellow believers. What an encouragement that should be when we wonder if it's worth it. It is. There's a verse in Hebrews 6 that makes that so very clear. Hebrews 6 verse, verse 10. The first part of Hebrews 6 is a very sobering warning about apostasy. About people who had confessed faith in Jesus Christ, but they, they didn't truly believe and they fell away or, or about them falling away from the gospel. And when that happens, it says uh, very solemnly, it is impossible to renew them again unto repentance. But, but then he goes on, he changes his tone in verses 9 and 10, and he gives comfort to believers. And he says there in Hebrews 6 verse 9, But beloved, we are, we are persuaded better things of you. And things that are accompanying salvation, though we thus speak, though we speak uh, so soberly and solemnly. And then listen to this, verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints. And do minister. You have served. You have cared for God's people. You see what that's saying? It's saying that God takes special note of Christian love. He doesn't forget our labor of love. That was true for the Philippians, and it's just as true for us. And so be encouraged. Be encouraged, dear Christian. God sees the self-sacrificing love you show to others out of love to him and for the gospel, even if no one else does. Pictures you color, the notes you write, the cards you give, the meals you make, the visits you do, the phone calls you make, the forbearance and forgiveness you show, the financial support you give to those in need, the prayers you pray for your fellow believers and for preachers and for missionaries and for those who are persecuted. He sees it. He notes it. And not only that, he not only takes note of it, he blesses you for it. That's what verse 17 tells us. What's the reason? What's the reason Paul's, Paul's glad about the gift the Philippians gave him? Not because I desire the gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. You see what that tells us? It tells us that when we show self-sacrificing love to others, and especially in this context to fellow believers, God will bless us for it. Fruit here is a, is a picture of blessing. Verse 17 is saying that, that when we sacrificially love others, God loads us with fruit. He loads us with blessings. 
You think of, a, think of an apple tree loaded with fruit. That, that's what God does. Not because we deserve it, but because he is good. And because he is gracious. And because that love that, that we show is really the fruit of his own work in us. But what kind of fruit, what kind of blessings does he give? Well, not necessarily material or earthly blessings, although the Lord can and sometimes does that. But, but the fruit he gives is especially spiritual fruit, spiritual blessings. Things like a clear conscience. Things like assurance of salvation. Things like closer fellowship with other believers. Things like joy and like peace and, and, and all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. There's a reason why love is the first one mentioned. And yes, also things like the Bible teaches also a reward in heaven. The point is, God not only takes note of our sacrificial love toward others, He blesses us, He rewards us for it in His amazing grace. And when we love God, and when we love God, that should encourage us in the way of loving others. Not merely to just get a reward, but because the reward, the blessing, the fruit tells us how much God, the one whom we love, approves of our sacrificial love for each other. He takes special note of it. He blesses it. And what's more, he delights in it. That's what verse 18 tells us. Paul, Paul says there, but I have all and abound. I am full having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Paul's speaking here of the most recent gift uh, uh, the Philippians had given him. And he says not only have, have they been more than enough for him, but more importantly, God delights in them. He compares them to the kind of sacrifices in the Old Testament that, that, that please God. You see, that's what our sacrificial love for each other does. It pleases God. It delights God. It smells good to God, as it were. Just like Christ's, Christ's sacrificial love for us. You know, Paul teaches that in, in another place. If you flip back a few pages... If your Bibles are open, you flip back a few pages to Ephesians 5 and verse 2. It's helpful to, to look there because you can see the similarity between uh, verse 18 of Philippians 4 and Ephesians 5 verse 2. In, in Ephesians 5 verse 2, he writes this to the, to the believers, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. It's not that our sacrificial love atones for sin. No, only Christ can do that. But when we show such love as a fruit of our faith in Christ, it does please God. That's the point. So God clearly approves of Christian love. That's what verses 14 through 18 teach us. Now, isn't that an encouragement? Isn't that an encouragement? A reason to show and to grow in Christian love toward each other, even when it's hard, and it can be hard, and even when it costs us. It is. It is an encouragement when we truly love God. And yet sometimes we can still struggle, can't we? 
We can still hesitate the cost, whether it involves our time or our energy or our money or our plans or perhaps our pride can sometimes seem overwhelming. And we can feel like we don't have what we need we don't, we, we, or, or else we worry that, that we, we don't have, we won't have what we need. And that brings us to the second thing we see in our text. We see not only God's clear approval of Christian love, but also his astounding encouragement for it. Look with me here at verse 19. It's one of those verses you could just preach a whole sermon on, and probably more than one. But Paul says there, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful promise. What astounding encouragement to love each other self-sacrificially. Think about it. God promises here to meet his people's needs. And not just some of them, but all of them. My God shall supply all your need, it says. That doesn't mean God will supply all our wants or our desires or our wishes. Or that he will supply all the things we think we need. It it doesn't mean that he'll give us health and wealth necessarily. But it does mean that God will supply all that we truly need. And he knows, this is a wonderful thing, God knows exactly what that is. He knows all the things that we have need of. The Lord Jesus told us that in Matthew 6. And you see, that means we don't have to fear. That means we don't have to worry if we sacrificially love others that we're going to run out of what we need. That we're going to be left hanging out to dry, as it were. Because God has promised to supply all we need. That doesn't mean that we don't need to be wise or that we should be reckless with our resources. This is not a promise we're going to become Superman or something like that. We do need to be wise about our time and about our energy and our money and so on. And we do need to be careful that we we don't burn out and things like that. We have to take the long view a lot of the time. But at the same time, the the point here is we shouldn't be tight-fisted. But we should be willing to give generously of our resources and of ourselves in sacrificial Christian love and service for the well-being of our fellow Christians, for the well-being, for the good of the church. We should be willing to give up even the rights that we think we have. You think of how Paul describes what Christ did. We saw it some time ago back in Philippians 2. Think of that. How he, the eternal Son of God, who counted it not robbery to be equal with God, how he gave up his rights. How he made himself of no reputation. And he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If Christ willingly gave up his rights and his privileges to love his people in that way. How much more shouldn't we, in light of God's promise here, 
He promises to meet not just some, but all our needs. And not only that, but he promises to meet them abundantly. The text says that he shall supply. Literally, that means he shall fill up your need. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. He will fill you to the very brim with everything that he sees you truly and really need. You think of the words of Psalm 23. He will make your cup to run over. In whatever circumstances we are, He will always supply all our needs, and abundantly so, because He gives, notice what it says in the text, according to His riches in glory. Now tell me, can you put a, can you measure, can you count God's riches in glory? No, you can't. You can't. They're infinite. They're without number. You can't count them. God's riches and glory are, as one commentator put it, a limitless treasure trove. And his promise, his promise is to supply all our needs according to those riches, his infinite riches, in a way that's consistent with them. And that means that we never have to fear, never, that our need shall exceed his provision. There's a beautiful hymn called, He Giveth More Grace. It's spoken to me in, in dark times of my life, but one of the lines goes, goes like this, Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. It won't. And you see, so then we can love others with self-sacrificing, with self-denying love, because he will always meet our needs abundantly. That's his promise. But maybe you find that hard to believe. Maybe you're thinking, I've tried that, but it didn't work. My life is completely, it's completely upside down. It's all chaos and confusion. Maybe this promise is true for others, but, but, but not for me. I know it can be hard to believe this promise when life is hard and when it's dark, but, but it remains true. And again, it's helpful to remember here how hard and dark Paul's life was. Who wrote these words. Think of how hard and dark it was when he wrote these words. Being in prison for the gospel with no clear sign yet of deliverance. He had been shipwrecked. He had been beaten. He had been stoned. He had been without food. And those are just some of his difficulties. And yet, that's the man who wrote these words. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. How in the world could he say that? How could he he still say that when his life was all inside out and upside down? He could say that by faith. For the faith that God had worked in him by his Holy Spirit. He could say that because God had become his God. And he believed that God is faithful. And that whatever happened, even if he were to be condemned to death and executed, God would turn it, he says in Philippians 1, to his salvation. You see, that's what God does for us when we belong to him. By faith in Jesus Christ, he turns everything, everything to our salvation. He takes care of us. He works everything, even the hard things, the bad things you've been through, or the bad things you're going through, and the bad things you will go through. 
He works it all for good to those who love God. Even in the midst of the confusion, even in the midst of the chaos, he is supplying all your need according to his riches and glory. That's his promise. And it's guaranteed, you see. It's guaranteed when you belong to Christ by faith because God's promise is what? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by or in Christ Jesus. And so when Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Lord, when we are united to him, then we can be sure of this promise that God will give us all that we need. Because when we are in Christ, that means God is our Father and we are his children through Christ. And as Paul says in Romans 8, verse 17, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And as our Father, God loves us even more than the best dad in the world loves his children. How do we know that? Because he gave his own son for us. So that our sins might be forgiven and we might be reconciled to God. And as Paul says later in Romans 8, verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He will. He most certainly will. He shall supply all our need by in Christ Jesus. It's all in Christ. What an amazing promise. And what an astounding encouragement to show then and to grow in that, yes, sometimes painful and difficult grace of Christian love. You see that with me? You see, this promise, it, it's so full of, of comfort and it's beautiful. But it's not just meant to comfort us, to comfort God's people. It's meant to stir up self-sacrificing love for each other, for others. Because it means we don't need to be over-anxious about our time or our energy or our money or our plans or even the personal rights that we think we have. God will take care of us. And he will supply all that we need. Yes, also what we need to love the way he calls us to love. To love with that self-sacrificing, self-denying Christ-like love. That's why this promise is here. And so let us live by faith and in this promise. And let's love others generously. Generously and self-sacrificially. That's what it's calling us to do. And, and what will happen? What do you think will happen when we do that? God's glory will advance. It will increase. And that's our third thought under our theme, the great blessing of Christian love, God's advancing glory through it. And this, we see this very briefly in the closing verses of this letter, verses 20 to 23. 
After declaring that astounding promise in verse 19, Paul erupts in praise to God. He says in verse 20, Now unto God be and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The God who meets all of our needs is worthy, you see, of everlasting glory and, and of everlasting honor. And that glory, that honor advances, it increases as we show and grow in self-sacrificing Christian love for our fellow believers especially. And so experience, really experience what he promises in verse 19. His fatherly provision. He said, how so? How does God's glory advance through Christian love? Well, for one thing, it displays the unity of God's people. It displays the unity of God's church. Verse, verse 21 and 22 highlights that unity. Paul calls on the Philippians. He, he says to them, salute or, or greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And then he says, the brethren which are with me greet you. And not only that, but all the saints, and probably they're referring to all the saints in Rome where he was a prisoner. All the saints salute or greet you. You see, you see what that tells us? It tells us there's a unity among believers because they're in Christ. Whether they feel that or not, objectively speaking, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in fellowship with other believers because that's what God does in the gospel. He doesn't just unite people to Christ, but he, he unites people to each other in Christ. And, and, and Christian love for one another, then when we show that love also through greeting one another, even, displays that unity. Don't you think the Lord loves to see the unity that he has created in the gospel displayed? But it also doesn't just display the unity that he creates in the gospel. It displays the power of the gospel. And Paul highlights that actually by making, by making special mention of the greetings uh, from those that are of Caesar's household. Notice that. Who's he referring to? He's referring to people in Rome who are in some way in the service of Caesar. In the service of the great ruler of the world, the Roman emperor. And most likely that included some of, some of his Roman guards that were guarding Paul. And you see what that's telling us. It's telling us that not even the greatest ruler can stop the gospel from spreading. Even in his own household. The greetings from Caesar's household to the Philippians, their, their, their love as fellow saints that they're showing through that greeting testifies to the power of the gospel. It proves that Caesar can imprison Paul, but he cannot imprison the gospel. And you see, so Christian love in that way, then the Christian love of God's people advances the glory of God. It brings glory to Him. And you see, when you love God, when you love God, there's nothing more important to you. There's nothing you want more than the glory of God. And so let's show then, let's show then and grow in self-sacrificing Christian love. You say, how can, how can we do that? By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how Paul ends this letter. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.
That's what we need. So let that be our prayer. Lord, that the Lord would, the Lord Jesus Christ, his grace would be with us all so that we might have this great blessing, the great blessing of Christian love. Amen.